Hi, I'm Betty Lynn Fisher. I'm consumer columnist and medical reporter with the Akron Beacon Journal and USA Today Network. And today for our healthy actions topic, we are talking about ADHD in adults. And today our our expert is Dr. Max Witznitzer with um, University Hospitals. He's division chief of um, pediatric neurology at UH Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital, as well as a professor at Case Western Medical School. And his practice is all over Northeast Ohio, including in Medina, closer to the Akron area. Thank you, Dr. For joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm really uh, excited to talk to you about this topic. I think as I've been telling people that that I was going um, talk to talk to you about this topic, I've gotten a lot of people um, really interested, and I think this is a this is a great topic to, to discuss. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your practice first? Well, I'm I've been in the Northeast Ohio area for over 30 years, practicing at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital, and I've got a mixed practice. Of, of children and young adults, uh, especially the young adults with developmental disabilities uh, th that include those with ADHD and have re required management in that population because that's specific to the topic that we're discussing. Regarding this specific topic, I also work with CHAD, the National Advocacy Group for ADHD. I'm on their board of directors and I'm also the co-chair of their professional advisory board. And I'm part of the effort to help develop uh, guidelines for the uh, assessment, diagnosis, and management of adult ADHD for the United States. That's being done in conjunction between CHAD and APSARD, which is the national, uh, the uh, ADHD professionals organization here in this country. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, well, let's just start by talking about what's the difference between ADD and ADHD, and can you describe them for me? There really is no difference. The, what, the, that terminology arose from different versions of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual uh, put out by the American Psychiatric Association, where at one time they were differentiating ADD with H, in other words, attention deficit disorder, with hyperactivity, and then ADD without H, without hyperactivity. But then they, f they found out that that was cumbersome and not really on target. Uh, and, the, and in the last two iterations, uh, they've basically used the term ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but then they've qualified it by describing what seems to be the, the predominant presentation, whether it's because you're very hyperactive and impulsive, or whether you're very inattentive, or you've got a combination of both. When we're talking about adult ADHD, we really talk more about the predominantly inattentive type. And there's a reason for this. May I explain? Yeah, that, of course. That, that if, you, if you look at ADHD along the lifespan, you basically, a person really is either born with the tendency towards ADHD or acquires it due to something that happens to the brain early on. And, and depending on your age, it's how it will show itself. So if we take preschool children who are symptomatic. Think about a preschooler. Preschoolers don't pay much attention to start with. They're more hyperactive and positive and they're more temperamental. So their presentation will be being very active, very busy with lots of upsets that will occur. If you present in the school age years where you've got more self-control and self-regulation that's present, you're going to have more problems paying attention, being organized, as well as sitting still. Now, the hyperactivity component of it, the, the moving all around, bouncing off the walls, not being able to sit in your seat, that tends to improve as the individuals age. So by the time you get to the teenage years, you still have the features of inattention, disorganization, uh, distractibility, in addition to problems with what's called executive functions. The skills we have basically 
to organize ourselves with time management, getting things done in a timely fashion. Think of it as your brain secretary that helps you drive you when it should be working at that time. And then those features persist into the adult years where adults will tell you that they have internal restlessness, but they're not necessarily bouncing off the walls like a three-year-old would. Uh, but they will just say they have the developmental age equivalent of that complaint. Uh, okay. So you, you you actually have just done a little bit of that, but I'll, I'll just ask again, just in case there's some more of some common signs that people might have that they, you know, signs or symptoms. Well, if you basically look at the diagnostic criteria for ADHD, there are three major categories. There's the inattention category, the hyperactivity category, and the impulsivity category. And in the inattention category, the, 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 some of the main features that are there are things such as uh, finding it difficult to initiate a task that you have to do, not that you like to do, but tasks that you have to do, or maintaining the task and keep on going, sustaining the effort. These are individuals who basically will look for excuses of how to avoid a task that they perceive as too difficult for them. They're easily distractible. They're not well organized. They lose or misplace things. Um, uh, it, it, and depending on, uh, on the age, their time management is not good uh, and, and their planning may be all awry because they get distracted by other things that are going on around them. When you look at the hyperactive component that's there, it's anything from being fidgety in your chair to getting out of your seat to basically being excessively moving. And, 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 and these individuals can actually literally bounce off the walls. But the other feature of the hyperactivity is they're verbally hyperactive. They talk a lot. Uh, normal talking, but it's, 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 and even as adults, they may talk a lot uh, in, in that regard. And then the third one is impulsivity. And while the classic criteria of impulsivity are mainly focused on children, which would be things such as uh, difficulties waiting your turn, uh, interrupting a lot, uh, blurting out answers like in the classroom. Think about that. Those There's still adult equivalents of those things where individuals are basically very impatient uh, and uh, and they, uh, they, they may interrupt you in, in terms of what you're doing and not let you finish with everything that's going on, as well as um, if they're in meetings, rather than waiting their turns, they'll just yell out things that they're supposed to be doing. That also happens in classrooms, by the way, uh, on, on, a, on a frequent basis. Now, there's also other components of the impulsivity because we're talking about this impulsivity, but there's also behavioral impulsivity. Some people continue, even as adults, to have problems with self-control and self-regulation, which means they blow up easily and they act before they think uh, in this regard, which can get them into trouble. Uh, these are issues that can make you also make the poor decision making because you're so impulsive uh, in, in your actions. Uh, so that you have to basically look at all those features and they can present as, as a mixture. Uh, you have to meet, meet some core criteria. It's not like you just have one or two, but in, for adults, there's, there are actually criteria that have been established where there's nine features of inattention. There's really nine features of hyperactivity, impulsivity. And for adults, you have to have at least five of them. For children, by the way, you have to have at least six. Uh, but we recognize in adults that they're not as symptomatic uh, but but it's there. And also for adults, if you really ask carefully, uh, you'll find out that adults have been symptomatic or showing features of the condition, even if it's not the full-blown features of the condition. For many years, it just doesn't appear uh, like magically in the adult years. It just may have its greatest impact there because the control systems that have been present when you were younger 
uh, where you know people would help you with organization. Think about this. In kindergarten, in first grade, and second grade, the teacher organizes that classroom. You follow the rules that are there. By the time you get to the later grades, you're supposed to do things more on your own. High school, you're supposed to do more things on your own. College, if you go to college, uh, you really are much more on your own in that regard. And that's when people may start showing themselves and declaring themselves as the as the uh, the structural routine and consistency that was imposed on them by the environment tends to fade. And so when you were talking about kind of those three categories, the focus, um, the, um, the impulse control, and then the third one was... And, the, and the, we'll call it motor overactivity. Okay. Does can it be it? It can be a mixture of all three, or it can be five things in one of those categories. It can be five things in one category and two in the other. And that's it. Okay. Okay. Uh, and doesn't... actually, and that's why in the old days, in the old days, people were very rigid about mm-hmm. the diagnostic criteria. They said predominantly inattentive. To all these other things like this. We now know it's a much more fluid diagnosis depending on your age. So as I stated before, the, the preschooler can be much more hyperactive impulsive. The school age, the school age child can be combined between the two and the adults are much more inattentive category in terms of their manifestations of the condition. But it could be in just one of those categories. It doesn't necessarily have to be in at least two of those. Uh, no, it doesn't. It, it has to be at least in one of them. It has okay. to be in one of them and have to make sure that there's no other reasons. Sure. So, for instance, if you look at inattention, there's lots of reasons why people may not pay good attention. For instance, if you're depressed, you're not going to pay attention. If you're highly anxious, you're so worried about it and you're so hyper alert, you're going to have problems focusing on things. It could be a medication side effect. There's lots of reasons why. So you always have to add, you always have to exclude other reasons and make sure you meet the diagnostic criteria, plus the clinical history of it being present for at least six months uh, onset before age 12 years. Uh, uh, and uh, and having a negative impact on your functioning in two or more settings. If the thing about it is, if I have a reading disability, I will have difficulties paying attention when I have to read, but I'll do fine in other areas. Sure. Uh, but but ADHD individuals, it doesn't matter where you're at home, you're in school, you're in the workplace, you're out in a social gathering. You'll you'll basically show the features to some degree in all those settings. How can you differentiate between a multitasker and someone who is easily distracted and whether or not that's some somebody with potentially a diagnosis? Um, a multitasker gets things done. The, the, the ADHD individual does not. Okay. So, you know, so in other words, one of the key things that I hear about in the adults is they start lots of tasks but don't necessarily finish. They leave little droppings, you know, okay. task, task droppings all over the place. Okay. Uh, and, and, and one, 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 one adult said to me, well, I finish them after a while, but that's usually after they've been urged repeatedly by their spouse to get things done. And in other words, there's external forces on it. So a multitasker, Sometimes may over may 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 put too much on a plate, but but the, but they'll, they'll recognize that that's happening, narrow it down, and get everything done in a timely fashion. The other thing about individuals with with uh, with ADHD, whether they're kids or adults, is they're inefficient in their productivity. In other words, looking at them for their mental for for their mental abilities or in terms of their intelligence as well as their physical abilities, they they, they the the time that it takes for them to get something done. Is, is far longer than it should be. So when we talk, a good example is is getting a report done, uh, whether it's homework report or whether it's a work report. If it's a report that should take two hours to do, these individuals dilly, uh, dilly-dally, uh, they, they get distracted, and it may take them hours rather than the amount of time that it should be. 
so that's another marker that can be present that's there. So if you have people who have problems with, as I said, time management, the efficiency of their productivity, uh, the the starting things but not stopping them, um, um, being very impulsive and sometimes making poor decisions because of the impulsivity. That, this is one of the diagnoses that should be considered. Well, I'll use myself as an example, but I think I'm I, talking to you makes me feel a little better. So like when I'm, on, you know, I'm, I'm a deadline person. So when I'm on deadline and I've got a deadline to meet, laser focused, I can get it done. I meet my deadline. When it's a day where maybe, you know, I've got a couple hours before I've got, I don't have a, I don't have a specific deadline that day. Boy, I may start like a, an email. Oh, then another email comes because, again, emails are coming in all the time, different tasks. So like you said, I'm doing lots of different things and kind of rabbit holing, but I get them all done. But I'm rabbit holing to different things. But so but, <laughs> but what you're describing is if you if you get things done and if the behavior does not interfere in your day to day functioning, then by definition, you don't have the diagnosis. It has to interfere with your fun, has to cause has to cause problems. So the kind of person you're talking about. They, they may rush to finish a deadline, but still don't get it done on time because because they 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 it, 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 they they, uh, they have difficulties in that regard. And remember, it's it's the ADHD is much more symptomatic for things you have to do than things you like to do. But even for things you like to do that you miss the deadlines. And in fact, that's one of the complaints that I would hear from people uh, in, in that regard. So so, you know, you know. It, I'll bet you you're not, you're usually not late for meetings, just to give you an example. And no, if you have a meeting no. that's supposed to be at a certain time, these individuals, this is one of their modus operandi, that, that, okay. that they're late uh, because they get distracted at home by 12,000 other things okay. and therefore don't go out the door until, until later. Just to sure. give you some examples okay. of that. And remember, it has to cause problems in your daily existence. It has to interfere with your functioning and therefore cause you distress. And may I, may I continue on that theme? Because be, because it does do that, people may they may develop secondary problems as a consequence of it. Their self esteem goes down. Their their self their self image they they see themselves as not as good. They get negative criticism from the environment, and therefore they be, they maybe develop a secondary anxiety or even a secondary depression as a consequence of their poor performance. And if all we do is focus on the depression and on the anxiety and not asking what's actually provoking it, you're never going to come to resolution. Doctor, what about the fact that, you know, just in today's society, we have emails constantly coming at us, notifications on our phone. Um, you know, is this does this make it more difficult in general, not even talking about, you know, an ADHD diagnosis, but just in general for people to focus? Definitely. Because because those you were getting many more external distractors than we used to uh, a generation ago. Uh, you always have to you know, always have to make sure you're you're not missing the latest communication from then fill in the blank, uh, or that I you know there's some news feed that I'm that 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 is that that is showing up. So people easily are are easy on their phones. Just go outside anytime and and watch people moving around. How many of them are holding a phone and looking at it while they're moving? They, it, it's really the temptation uh, of the phone uh, is, is such that uh, it really, some, to some degree, can make it more difficult to diagnose ADHD. But, okay. but the point is, individuals with ADHD, when they're not on their phones, are still symptomatic. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, 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 other people are not. It's just, unfortunately, that uh, unfortunately, 
uh, social media uh, is basically it can, is very distracting. Right, right. One thing I found really nice on my iPhone is the do not disturb or the focus where you can make, I think you can, you can shut down your notifications, you know, if you do want to focus on something. Or have no notifications at all. Right. <laughs> uh, and if you have no notifications, you can't be distracted by them. Right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Okay. So, you know, you were discussing before that you are, you know, you're you're working on guidelines of of ADHD in adults. Have more adults and children been diagnosed with these issues in recent years, or and um, or is it because we are more, you know, physicians are more aware of of the diagnosis? There, for the diagnosis in children has stayed about steady. It's gone up a smidge, but not not lots. But uh, it's still under-recognized. I would agree with you on that point. The diagnosis in adults has improved because now we recognize that it's present. In the past, people would give other excuses for why those behaviors were there. Uh, it's not really that there's a true rise in the uh, uh, in the incidence. In other words, the, 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 the yearly occurrence of this. It's that we're getting better at recognizing the people who have these conditions and, 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 and offering uh, interventions. At, at, and, and one of the things that mirrors that also is that there's been a rise in the prescriptions uh, that are given in, uh, for the medications that are used to treat this. The rise has been higher in adults than it has been in children. Okay, okay. So is it, is it possible for an adult to have um, slipped through diagnosis as a child and then diagnosed as an adult? Very common, very common. Uh, it, it, some people basically because of support services that they had uh, or because the, they, they were able to compensate, inefficiently compensate, but still compensate, can make it through school. But then when they hit the stone wall of life as it is as an adult, uh, all of a sudden they're faced with the reality of these difficulties. It is not unusual, for instance, for uh, when a diagnosis on a child is made for one of the parents to say, you know, now that I think about it, it sounds to me like I have the same thing that my that my my child has. And, and people have been complaining to me for years about this on a uh, on, on another flip side. And this is this is uh, something that we have to consider as a society. You know, ADHD is probably one of the conditions that that gets individuals into trouble with law, the law and law and the legal system and puts them in jail. Uh, and therefore, the intervention there is not to always just to put them in jail, but also to fix the underlying reason why the behavior is occurring, in this case being ADHD. What about um, for children who are diagnosed as with ADHD as children? Can they grow out of it? Can they, you know, will, will they get to a point where they may not need their medications? Um, you talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, uh, and that is that is actually uh, that is actually uh, an accurate statement. Uh, as a round number, and it's a very rough number, about half the individuals with uh, on childhood uh, ADHD may no longer need uh, medication treatment as adults. The numbers vary depending on what studies you look at. Some people say more still need to be treated. Others are more are still symptomatic. Others say less are somewhat symptomatic. But yeah, it does not go away at this magical age of sixteen or eighteen. Uh, it can continue to persist, and it has to be recognized that it's there because treatment uh, uh, is still indicated, although in those cases, treatment may be a little bit different. Uh, the, uh, many adults recognize when they do need to, to be treated when they don't. My, my patients who are in college frequently will say to me, I don't need the medicine on weekends. I can handle, I manage quite well, but I need it when I'm in my classes. Uh, and there are others who say they need it basically every single day. 
but it's therefore something we have to be aware of. Uh, that just because someone says I outgrew it, if they if people who are watching them notice that they still are showing features of it, it may be that uh, it's still impacting them, but uh, it's not being recognized as readily. Sure. Or in that in that college situation, are there some who say? I can tell when I maybe need the medication to focus a little bit more, but I don't need it all the time. All the time. My okay. patients frequently okay. say this. To, and there are some who basically say I need it every day. Others who say uh, I need to, I need, I take my medicine based on my class schedule. Okay. So, so, you know, sometimes I'll take it at 9 a.m. Sometimes I'll take it at noon or one o'clock. Sure. If I have an evening class, we may then do something different with medications. Okay. Uh, put them on a short acting versus a long acting. So let's talk about for children and for adults, if it's different, when should somebody seek medical advice and who should they go to? If we have an individual, if we have an individual who is symptomatic, showing features of ADHD, that they're showing the inattentive features or the hyperactive impulsive features or both, and it is negatively impacting on their daily functioning, then irrespective of the reason why those behaviors are there, whether it's due to ADHD or a medication side effect or some other condition, uh, that's present. And we have to remember that even individuals with ADHD can have, frequently have other comorbid conditions. About a third of them have anxiety disorders. Uh, uh, they can have learning challenges. Uh, they can have even have motor coordination problems. But when, so when you have all these questions that are going on, if the question is there, you should go ask somebody, I have these symptoms and signs. Why do I have them? What, and, and then what do I do about them? It never hurts to ask. Sure. It may it may be that it may be that it'll turn out to be the ADHD. It may not. It may turn out to be something else. I'll give you another example. If you don't get a good night's sleep every night, do you have a good attention span? Of course not. Are you as efficient as you in your productivity? Of course not. But even then, it doesn't matter why you're being inattentive. That's still something that needs to be remedied. So the answer is that's a long answer. To, to your question, which is uh, the answer should be yes. Seek, seek medical input. And go to your pediatrician or your primary care physician if, for adults. Uh, yes. And for, for pediatricians, it's usually easier because pediatricians are very comfortable with the diagnosis of ADHD. For the primary care providers, many of them are not as comfortable, but they also know what resources are available that they can refer uh, their patients to. Uh, if that question arises. So you, so you may you may ask your PCP for a, a consult to a neurologist then? Or a consult to a psychiatrist or a consult okay. to a psychologist, depending on are you looking for a diagnosis or are you looking for management? Because okay. if you think about this, may I talk about management for a second? Absolutely. That was my next question. Because it's really important to recognize that there's two components to management. Component number one is the core features of ADHD, the core, the inattention, the hyperactivity, the impulsivity. The core features respond best to medication. Research studies have shown us that over and over and over again. Stimulant medicines, things in the, in the what, what, I'll use brand names because people recognize brand names more easily, in the Adderall family or the Ritalin family, and there's a wide variety of medications that are derived from those, um, uh, can be very effective in Improving attention, reducing hyper, uh, reducing impulsivity, uh, and reducing the things like distractibility and motor overactivity. But none of those medicines teach you how to do things right. So you still have to have the skills to work with your ADHD. And in those cases, uh, whether you're a child or adult, working with someone in order to gain those skills, whether a psychologist, a therapist, or a coach, uh, it, it, it can be very helpful. In other words, take advantage of the improvement that the medication does for you in order to develop those good habits that will help you out even when you're not on the medication. 
And then thirdly, within that also is working to recognize any of the coexisting conditions that can be present, uh, such as such as anxiety disorders uh, or, or depression, uh, which are probably the two most that I would I, I, that we hear about in the adult years. Uh, and, and then obviously the other things that we have to worry about would be things like substance use for people who have been trying to self-treat and self-medicate before a diagnosis is made. Can we talk a little bit about um, medication and perhaps medication um, development? I think I've heard that, you know, the, the Ritalins of 20 years ago or 30 years ago is not the same as, as now. Like, I know that some people were like worried about like, oh, you know, I, I knew a kid, you know, when I was in school and once they got on a medication, they were, you know, so different or, you know, so and I'd heard some tell me whether or not this is true, whether or not kind of the, the medication, maybe this is the medication management that there's been advances in that. Uh, the, 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 there have been several advances uh, that have occurred. One was the introduction of extended release formulations. In other words, instead of having to take a pill every four hours, which is what, what used to happen way back when, as you were asking, uh, those have, now you can take something that should last most of the day. And that's very helpful, especially for individuals who have to remember to take their medicine on time. Sure. They have to remember you have ADHD. Uh, so one is, 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 is the development of extended release preparations. Number two is that we have different ways in which the products can be delivered. In the old days, all it was was a pill. Nowadays, it's, it could be a pill. It could be a liquid formulation. Uh, it could be a sprinkle. It could be a patch. What's a sprinkle? Uh, What's a, sprinkle? a sprinkle would basically be you open a little capsule up and sprinkle. Oh. The, there's little pellets on the inside. Sure, sure. So for people who have problems with swallowing, you can just swallow it down. And those are those are usually time-release formulations that are there. Uh, and there's even patches uh, that, that, that can be used. But in addition, we've done better at identifying that uh, if, if, in other words, if the stimulants don't work for you or you don't tolerate them, there are non-stimulant options that are on the market. Uh, that uh, some of them that have been developed specifically for ADHD and, and that can be quite helpful for individuals who either, as again, uh, do not want to take the stimulants or do not tolerate them or for whom the stimulants don't seem to do the job right. Actually, I'd love one more question I have for you. is Anything. I, thought, I always thought it was interesting that, it, can you explain why you use a stimulant to with somebody who's hyperactive? But, but yeah, see, the question you have to ask is why are they hyperactive? They're hyperactive because they can't focus. They can't stay on task. Uh, they, they have a very short attention span. Uh, and therefore, what does the stimulant do? It lengthens the attention span. If we're able to pay attention to something for a longer period of time, you'll sit still for a longer period of time. So, and actually what happens in these, in, in, in the diet, what's one of the models of, of, for ADHD, one of the classic models of ADHD is there's a relative deficiency of a neurotransmitter, a little chemical that with which the nerves talk to each other. Uh, called dopamine. And uh, and because you have a dopamine deficit, it leads to the ADHD symptoms. What the stimulant medications do, and that's a misnomer, the name stimulant, but that's the right. name that's it caught like on. You're putting gas on gas, right? Which you're not putting gas on but what, okay. but what But what the stimulants do is increases the amounts of dopamine in the brain. For people who are dopamine deficient, it now gets you to a level that you should be at. So therefore, you're, you're better. You are correct. If you take too much of this stuff, and take it too much of it regularly, it is not good for you. It can, it, it can, it can be harmful. But when you take it as prescribed by the physician, uh, it, it, it can provide great benefit uh, in that regard. Studies that have been done have shown that it's for, for children and adolescents, uh, that uh, many times um, if you're on the medication, 
you know, the risk of, for instance, abuse. Everyone worries about abuse and diversion of these medicines. Um, but the, for those individuals who are on the medicine, they don't abuse the drugs. Uh, in fact, the risk of it developing some sort of abuse condition where they may abuse alcohol or cigarettes or, or, or illicit substances actually drops down closer to the population norm. Uh, there is diversion that can occur. Other, you know, uh, it could be that people come up to them and say, I, I, you know, could you sell me a pill uh, because uh, I want to study or I want to stay up all night to do whatever I want to do? Or I have unrecognized ADHD and, and, and basically I'm self-medicating. I've even had parents take their children's medicine uh, because they and then come to me and say, it worked. I do have ADHD. <laughs> you know, please refer me to somebody. Uh, so diversion can be an issue. And that's a whole topic, by the way, in and of itself sure. that we don't have time to discuss. It's a fascinating topic. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not it, 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 it's there, but not as big of a, of, of a stink for the population who actually have ADHD as people worry and wonder. Um, but you, you know, with, with so so that the medications can do the job they do. And it's and what they're doing is getting you closer to where you should be. It's not really stimulating you above and beyond where you should be. Can you have medication side effects? Of course you can. And if they occur, you discuss it with the provider. You decide whether they're tolerable or not, whether they can be fixed by, by adjusting the dosing or by switching to something else. Okay, great. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on with this topic that you want to make sure we cover? Um, I, I, we, we want to make sure that uh, with, with this condition, we have to recognize that these individuals are symptomatic, are not misbehaving. They're not deliberately acting the way they do. Frequently, you know, the kids and adults, you know, will say get a bad reputation because of what, what's going on. We have to recognize that uh, that when the ADHD is under good management, uh, they tend to do much better. I just heard today walking in the halls, uh, though they were talking about a child who's misbehaving. And the comment was, it's when the medicine wears off, isn't it? They go, yes. When the medicine's on board, the child is perfect, very friendly and does quite well. So. It, you can, that can even happen in, in the adult population. It's something that we have to be concerned. Uh, we have to be concerned about that. We pay attention, but we have to. So, if I may summarize for you, it's a real medical condition. It affects in in pediatrics. It affects as a conservative number, let's say eight to nine, eight percent of the population. In adults, about four to five percent of the population. It it there are there are established diagnostic criteria that, when followed, can be very helpful. We have to follow them to do that. And there are effective interventions that can basically lead to a good life. Because if you don't intervene, we have data to show that there's a shortening of the lifespan of individuals with ADHD uh, due to the fact they develop unhealthy behaviors. There's an increased risk of diabetes. There's an increased risk of suicide, in, especially in the untreated populations. Uh, and this is in the adult years. Uh, uh, that, that, so therefore we want to change that trajectory to basically let individuals be productive, have good self-esteem and be contributing members, uh, of society as well as a good relationships with everyone around them. Thank you so much, doctor. This has been so helpful. I think this is going to help a lot of people. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me.